Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. And we're back. We are back and better than ever. The uh, When John and I used to podcast years ago, there used to be a podcast by these two guys called the Podcast Brothers, and I think they were brothers, and they were giving you advice on how to monetize your podcast, and that <laughs> that was their intro. They'd go, we're back, in this really uh, sort of weird, cartoonish voice, and uh, so that was their shtick. Anyway, I don't even know if they're still so are around. They, are they still on? I was going to say, are they still on the air? Because... Uh, yeah, there are some podcasts that are making a little bit of money, but I think the people who imagined that they'd have a podcast empire, maybe, uh, you know, not so much. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're doing. Um, I'm actually, in ending, when we did last week's show, and in the beginning I said, uh, we need to, I need to come up with a new intro, because I've always, you know, been going, hey, what's going on, you know, as our, our intro. Um, yep. I, I thought to look them up, but I have not. But there are other people out there um, doing shows like that on how to monetize podcasts. There's a guy named Michael Sidorzewski. That's how mm-hmm. you would say it in Polish. I don't know how Sidorzewski or what he says in English, but he's got you know a little network going. That's I don't even know that much about it, but um, you know he's he's building his own little empire actually. Yep. So after. Um, Geez, the day after we recorded, the day we released our last show, there was that big uh, shooting in Aurora, Colorado. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think we have a lot to say about that, uh, and I certainly want to talk about it on a future show, but I was I was needing a more lighthearted show to do today, so yeah, we're not going to talk I can understand that. that. It's been but, kind of a grim couple weeks. Well, I mean, we ta- you know, because it's a political season, we're probably going to spend a lot of time talking about current events and politics and uh yeah, the shooting, I mean, it's still it's still it's still a little fresh and uh you know, it's something we'll look at. It doesn't quite at. feel right to try and like make political points out of it. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't been getting into the launching into gun control arguments really with much of with any you know real vigor. Let's just say, yeah. I'm mostly just saddened. Yeah, it's it's definitely crazy, and there's a lot to say about it. And uh, you know, actually, even Michael Moore, for example, I did see him on. Oh, the guy who replaced Larry King, the British guy, Piers Morgan. I did see him on there the other night, and it's it's interesting because, like you just said, you aren't it's a little too soon or whatever. Normally when there's a shooting, he, they ask him to be on these shows and he says no. You know, he'll just say, look at my movie, Bowling for Columbine, if you want to know how I feel about guns, you know. Yeah. But yeah. he actually did go on the air the other day and uh, he had a lot to say and uh, he said it sparked quite a bit of um, quite a bit of discussion. And in fact, uh, Obama had been kind of ignoring the topic because it's an election year. He's absolutely terrified of the gun lobby, right? So I he think is. Michael yeah. Moore, I think Michael Moore kind of shamed him into talking about it you know maybe i have i haven't been watching uh rachel maddow or much of anything so i really don't know a lot about what the pundits are saying about it except for like the the predictable you know uh we need more guns if there were yeah yeah, that kind of thing if everybody was armed all those people would be alive today shooting it at night in the dark with 
uh, smoke grenade just having been thrown. Yeah. All I all I really feel like I, I want to convey about it at this stage is like uh, we have to acknowledge that um, the consequences of all these policy decisions are real and serious, and this isn't a game or a joke. You know, that's I feel like we're so. I don't mean you and me necessarily. I mean, just we're so accustomed to turning these debates into entertainment and into horse races and into sports teams, you know, and that's this isn't it. You know, this we have to take this seriously. Well, there's there's definitely a lot to say about that. I mean, you know, politicians are lining their pockets from lobbyists and corporations to get favorable laws passed. I mean, you know, these guys are just scumbags. They don't they don't think about those consequences, you know. And the pundits, too. I mean, but the the thing is, the people that died or were wounded, I mean, they really deserve for people to bring out some actual fresh thinking and not just dredge up their, you know, same repeat their um, their usual tirades on this and that aspect of it, I think. Well, we will definitely talk about it next week unless something, you know— catastrophic happens that's beyond that like you know the earth gets hit by an asteroid or something but uh you know and i know one of our listeners if she's still listening kirsten uh will uh, listen with attentive ears she is our resident libertarian pro-gun crazy person yeah so (laughs) (laughs) if uh, if you want to hear things that she has to say actually i found some canned material that we had recorded with her years ago and i released them um like in March of 2011 or something. I I kind of found these two canned podcasts and I edited it. And I think I mentioned this to you. It was supposed to be for her show. She yeah, was doing they're a, still in the feed. You can still like go back and well, have you listened to those and find them? I listened to. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I might not have gotten all of them. At least one show where well, you there had were two. This, this, okay. Yeah, I edited. There was there was a couple hours of material that I edited down to two like forty five minute podcasts, and uh, I kind of made it our show when it was really supposed to be her show. But she was okay with me releasing the material. In fact, That's John. Do- yeah, yeah, John doesn't even make a much of an appearance in that because the whole point of it was her interviewing me. But she definitely asked me about guns and weapons and stuff like that so uh, if you wanted yeah. to get an intro into her her ideologies you can kind of listen to that show first but uh i should go back and listen to that and just see how it seems to me in the context of this uh, of current events yeah, yeah yeah so anyway i i uh in the in keeping with the the spirit of the sci-fi con that i went to a couple weeks ago and the uh episode that we did live from the bridge of the ncc 1701 starship enterprise three or four or five weeks ago, whenever the hell that was. I kind of wanted to make it light today, and and uh, my idea was just a top five episode, top five Star Trek, the original series. It's kind of weird that we have to put TOS after Star Trek now. Right. But right. Uh, our top five original series episodes, and, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of favorites that are pretty universal, so there may be some crossover here. Paul and I have not discussed... Uh, we haven't shared our results with each other purposely. So, so uh, we had basically gave me an assignment and said, "Pick your top five, and we'll talk about them." Well, classically, like, okay. that's how we always did our top fives or our whatever top tens or whatever. You know, John and I. If there was uh, if there was a collision, we wanted it to be a kind of a fun surprise. You know, I should say that of course I've seen these. I've seen a lot of them. I mean, they were in constant reruns when I was young, but. Uh, I only own one season on DVD. I don't own any seasons. Series. 
Well, so, but my point being that I haven't probably seen a lot of these episodes in 20 or maybe 30 years. Well, I haven't you know, seen so. a lot of them either, to be honest, because TOS is kind of not in syndication. Maybe at 4 a.m. on Sci-Fi Channel or something. I don't know. Yeah. So my memory is a little blurry, but what I did do is I went through the Memory Alpha Wiki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That which has plot summaries and, and stills and everything, and I... It's also um, sometimes it's hard to remember the episodes by name oh, because well. the names are often these clever sometimes, uh, references yeah. to literature or something like that. And it's not like uh, immediately obvious what the name means. For the world so, is hollow I and I have touched the sky. What's that about? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, so I mean, that's a line from it. But I did. Uh, I, I think I picked five that are representative of the, of the ones. How I thought of it is, if I could pick the reruns that they were going to show me, the ones I'd most want to sit through and watch again, I think these these five were probably them. Yeah, and I, I have a few runners up too, just because you know, and we don't I, need to I talk have, in any great length. Yeah, about I have them. some honorable mentions and a few dishonorable mentions. Yeah, I was going to do the dishonorable ones because there are. Many, particularly third season episodes that were pretty dishonorable, but uh, I didn't write any down, but we can throw those out too. So I, let's just, uh, let's get right into it. And, and, Jump into it. And as I say before, any of my top five lists, they're in no particular order. I mean, I don't know where I would actually place these out of the top five, but I'm just going to do them in right. the order that I thought of them. Uh, okay. Why don't you go first? I, I think I went first on our last top five. Okay. You might want to disqualify this one right away because it's a two-parter. But, well, no, uh, that's the fine. Menage, the menagerie, which is the, it's the the, uh, the reconstructed version of like the original pilot that mm-hmm. was turned into a two parter. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, when I get the chance to see it, uh, is still uh, just a fascinating episode. In part because you see number one, and you see Christopher Pike. And just the way they wrapped the framework story around it and they jump back and forth and you see sort of older footage and you see footage that was um, that was sort of made to look older. You know, it's like you see an earlier version of the Enterprise and you see an earlier version of how they were shooting the contemporary Enterprise, if well, that makes and, sense. And when you say number one, you mean Major Barrett. Uh Yes. Yeah, uh, who who at one, I think in that episode, she actually got credited under the name M. Lee Hudick, some strange you know, stage oh, really? name she had. Yeah. I don't know if she was married to Roddenberry yet. I don't think she was. But uh, yeah, she was, uh, she was the first officer and it didn't play well with uh, a woman having that uh, high position of power threatened men's, you know, they that, threatened their masculinity in the 60s, but, which is one uh, of the reasons. But she was very charismatic. She was very charismatic. I thought I liked her character. Well, I thought so, too. But, you know, in 2012, it's easy to say that. I mean, if we were 20 years old in 1966, having grown up right. in a slightly different world, a more male-dominated world, I don't know. Maybe we, we would or would not think that. But Right. Yeah. It's hard to imagine uh, thinking of, say, Uhura's character as, as controversial. But I, I suppose right? it was. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. at that... Uh, sci-fi convention one of the panels was called the women of star trek ironically since the con was women themed and uh, we, mm-hmm. we spent quite a bit of time talking about uhura actually but okay so okay. one of my five again in no particular order is uh, a piece of the action the gangster episode oh the gangster episode yeah and yeah. you know not great science fiction but boy it's an awful lot of fun and i i just love the comedy of the episode you know they're wearing the the pinstripe suits and they're walking yeah. around with uh 
you know, uh, Tommy guns and, uh, you know, Spock starts talking like a gangster. You know, I'd advise you to keep dialing Ox Mix, you know, when he mm-hmm. sort of gets it. You know, right. he's playing along with Kirk and uh, right. a lot of uh, a, just a ton of fun in that. And, of course, that had uh, Mel from Mel's Diner in it. What's that actor's name? Um Vic Tabak, right? That Vic was, Tabak. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the gangsters. And there's actually an interesting piece of trivia in that episode because um, uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty, could do many kinds of voices, including Scottish. And uh, mm-hmm. he had been used for years in commercials and radio ads as a voice actor. And when they're listening to the primitive radio broadcasts coming up from the planet, they like they, they listen, they're listening to AM radio, in other words, from the bridge of the Enterprise. And you hear uh-huh. like some radio show, and then they cut to a commercial, and you hear, that was brought to you by Bang Bang, makers of the sweetest little automatic in the world. And that was... Um, James Doohan actually doing the voice in a really? different yeah in a different kind of accent. That's a little trivia piece that uh, that makes that episode kind of fun when you're in. in That's the hilarious. Notes. Yeah, he was he was kind of underrated and underused. Uh, he was a, he was a he was a good guy. Well, as far as I'm concerned, every one of those guys is royalty for sci-fi geekdom. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm mean, I'm actually less of a Kirk fan than a Picard fan. Let's say. I mean, Spock was always my favorite, but mm-hmm. still, those guys. Mine too. I mean, I grew up with star trek i mean what can i say but okay go ahead yeah okay uh i have one that is actually uh you you had your last one was kind of a, a light-hearted episode and this one is quite serious uh this one is balance of terror mm, mm-hmm. yeah and this is the show where they introduce the romulans yeah it was and kind of the science fiction version of run silent run deep yeah, it was, a, it was a submarine drama, yeah, essentially, exactly. in space. Yeah. But there's an aspect of it that's really interesting, too, because when they get a look at the Romulans and they're seeing them for the first time, right, right, they realize that they look a lot like Spock. Yep, and they and cut suddenly, to Spock, and he raised one eyebrow or something. Yeah, you know? but then part of the plot centers around how they this kind of foments distrust because they have evidence that there's a mole or a spy on board the Enterprise. Yeah, that, that was a classic, and I, I thought about that. That one. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's paced really well. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you could argue about some of the plot twists, maybe slightly goofy the way things conveniently fail or break at the right yeah, but that happens in every star trek episode absolutely so, yeah that, i mean but it's it's, like, it's it's tightly paced and it's it's a beautiful like uh it's a very uh traditional like uh, a war drama you know yeah very much and another thing that we talked about at the sci-fi con that was interesting about that episode was when the communications failed you actually saw uhura under the under the console fixing the electronics, mm. right? Yeah. So they actually yeah. gave a woman um, either was that in that episode or the Enterprise incident? Now I'm having trouble remembering. I, it I was don't one remember. of those two apps, but they actually had Ohura like with a soldering iron under the console fixing things and uh Yeah. Uh, Okay. So another one of mine is an episode called A Taste of Armageddon. Does that ring a bell? Oh yeah, that's that's actually I, I put that in my runner up list. This is the one where there's, there's a, a war com- going on. And it's computer generated, so there's and actually no destruction generated. on the planet. Like bombs don't actually fall, but they keep track of where a bomb would have fallen virtually and then and, they send all those people to these disintegration chambers to be killed. Yeah. And what that, that's a really disturbing that's a really disturbing episode. I sort of that's one of the reasons I I liked that one. Yeah. Well, and what, the thing that really struck me about that episode, and I, despite the fact that 
Um, you, you don't think a lot of people's sci-fi fandom comes from books. I have read a lot of science fiction books, and I don't really recall ever see, reading a book where there was a virtual war fought with computers. I mean, to me, that was a pretty fresh idea. So mm-hmm. just for the idea alone, I was like, ooh, thumbs up. Yeah. Very good. And no, it, it, has- was a great, it, was, it was a great idea, and it was also politically irrelevant, you know, when you're talking about basically desensitizing people to or a accept, push button war even like vietnam you know you, you to accept war yeah yeah exactly. you push a button and the missile flies 40 miles in and you don't have to see the face of the enemy you're killing and plus it also has one of my favorite spock lines of all time in addition to i'd advise easy to keep dialing ox mix when spock had to <laughs> to, to get some guards attention he said sir you have a multi-legged creature crawling on your shoulder. <laughs> and then when the guy looked, he hit him with the nerve pinch, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay, what do you got? Uh, this one you might uh, think is a little goofy, and it is a little goofy, but one of the reasons I like it is because it had some extremely creative alien effects. And there's there's a couple more of mine that are based on the, the alien effects. It's called Operation Annihilate. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. And it involves these uh, these planet that's been taken over by these flying. They're like they're like they're like pierogi. <laughs> they're yeah, ravioli. They're like, yeah, they're like pesto bats or something. I don't yeah, know, but the they're kind of disgusting looking. The one where they Spock make these. Hit. <laughs> yeah, they make these disturbing sounds. But um, one of them lands on back of Spock's neck and like sticks its pincers into his nervous system or something and right. the pain is like that, that was interesting about it it's, it generates this incredible pain in his nervous system and they've got to figure out a way to uh, get it off him yeah what they finally discover is that uh, like r- super bright light will will kill these things well and what else did we learn about vulcan physiology in that episode <laughs> Yeah, that they have a, a, a we're so worried about his Vulcan eyes that we forgot about his Vulcan ears, right? Well, no, no, the the the, the Vulcan inner <laughs> eyelid, right? Yeah, that, that was what that saved was the, the day. The joke McCoy made that joke. Uh, no, it, it wasn't yeah, a he, joke. I think it was supposed no, to I be know. real. No, I know. I'm saying at the end, Spock overhears McCoy saying something. Oh, right, and, right. The joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he they have a, a, like a second inner eyelid that comes down to protect their eyes. So yeah, one of the it, things that always bothered me about that episode was when um, that person stole the shuttlecraft or whatever and was you know fleeing the the he was trying to fly into the sun to end the pain and then he he oh, said yeah. i'm free i'm free of the pain or whatever and they didn't put it together that the it uh took them a long time to put it together but it, they yeah, didn't put yeah. together the uvs but what was even more bothersome about that scene was he was supposed to be flying towards the sun and when you looked at the screen on the enterprise it was a blank screen they they didn't have the money to put the sun effect in <laughs> which they have fixed in the new releases the blu-ray and dvd releases where they digitally redid the effects and stuff they yeah, the, and you know yeah. what? I'm okay with that. I'm not going to freak out with the whole George Lucas Greedo shot first crap. Oh no, I mean, they they were just. I I I agree. I mean, they're just trying to make it coherent, you well, know. Right. And they're trying. They they did that this with some of the next generation stuff on the Blu-ray too, and it's because it's actually there's a. Uh, a legitimate reason the originals back when you were watching it in the 80s uh, um you weren't seeing it in hd you were seeing it in ntsc resolution right. and you could you know the effects could be pretty damn crappy and you wouldn't really be able to tell yeah but now we're yeah. trying to watch them in hd and if you blow that up suddenly well you pointed out 
this uh, still where you can see what are those little cards called? Yeah, the isolinear chips in the episode. Isolinear chips. One of the yeah. many first season episodes where Wesley saves the day. They're they're just little <laughs> pieces of Lexan or plexiglass with file folders, sticky them. labels that have the color on the top, so you can like yeah. color coordinate your file folders. So they literally just wrapped one of those white sticky file folder label thingies around all of these. Yeah, and maybe put a couple colored dots on yep. it to differentiate and, them. And yeah, from, and it looks really silly up close yeah but from you know standard definition television where you're not zooming in it looks fine but they they put some kind of some kind of abstract high-tech yeah almost like like you thought it was might have even have been the 2001 scene when when uh they were they were shutting hail down you weren't even you weren't Mm -hmm. quite sure it sort of has that vibe and that was clearly the vibe they were trying to go for yeah. But um, yeah, suddenly somebody puts up a frame, a still frame from the the Blu-ray release, and uh, you can see the overlap of the file folders. You can see the edge where it overlaps. The and little I'm, stickers peeling off, maybe a little bit. And I wasn't yeah. even being critical. <laughs> I was like, "That's my kind of resolution." I was just thrilled because people were saying the uniforms have texture now that you can really see the yeah. texture of the fabric and things like. But anyway, well, we're off. Yeah, uh, it's nice because because you get to see a lot of the hard work. That the craftspeople, you know, put into building the sets and the props and all that, that that hasn't been really appreciated. Although, you know, for the original series, you might wa- not want to look too close. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, but still, I, you know, one of these days when I have money again, I am so going to get all of the Star Treks on Blu-ray, you know. On Blu-ray, it's, yeah. it's definitely something I want to do. But, uh, so what do we have to, was that number, your number three? Um. Yes. Okay. My number three is a, is a classic. It won a Hugo, Emmy, Oscar, whatever those science fiction o- nebula. What are those science fiction awards called? Uh, uh, it's, it's this is Harlan Ellen, Harlan Ellison's episode. Yeah. This is what's generally picked as most people's favorite episode when you uh, when you take polls and it's sitting on the edge of forever. Mm-hmm. The time yeah. I did I did consider that one definitely. That episode is famous for a couple of things. Uh, it's a classic time travel episode, of course, The Guardian of Forever, which can take you anywhere. But it also yeah. had Joan Collins in it, uh, a yep. young, vivacious, pretty Joan Collins who ran a soup kitchen. And yeah. uh, if you were watching carefully uh, as they walked up and down the city streets, you would have seen when he was walking with her, you would have seen them walk by a barbershop. And on the glass, it said Floyd's Barbershop. <laughs> they were actually using the Mayberry RFD set. Were they really? Yeah, oh they were God. They were actually using the Mayberry set. And once again, uh, some of my favorite comic dialogue in that episode was when they were trying to steal clothes and they got caught by the cop. Uh, they yeah. were trying to explain Spock's ears, and Spock yeah. goes, "Perhaps my unfortunate accident as a child captain in the rice picking machine, <laughs> <laughs> mechanical rice picking machine." Yeah, yes. just just crazy, and it's just filled with with lots of it, uh, little it, it things is, like that. That's also the one where he's trying to create. Uh, what was he trying to create? Uh, some kind of a mnemonic a memory of, circuit with bearskins and stone, stone knives. knives and bearskins. Yeah, I I did I did think I think quite highly of that episode but it does lose a couple points for me because i don't like sort of the goofiness of the guardian and i don't like the ending of the episode very much specifically what about the ending the well that it's just uh she has to die, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hope that anyone who's might be considering this a spoiler will have seen the thing by now. I but, think 45 uh, years ought to be enough. 
<laughs> yeah. But so she has to die, and so he dies, and then it ends with Kirk saying, oh, come on, let's get out of here, or something like that. You know, it's not, I just didn't find it very satisfying. I guess it's it's more satisfying than it would be if it was just some kind of uh, hokey, tacked-on ending. Right. You know, like some kind of a forced happy ending. And I do appreciate that Ellison didn't write a, a forced romantic happy ending. But it just seemed kind of grim and abrupt the way he did it. I don't know. It's, right. So, so. Um, you want to jump into a tune now and break it up a little? or Sure. Let's play a tune. All right. Let's uh, let's jump into this one. We've threatened, much like the Luftwaffe uh, song that we played last week or a couple weeks ago, we've threatened to play this one in the past. And uh, this is another one by Valerie Miller. So check it out. One, two, three, two, two. <laughs> Some guys with a dump truck, they live up the road. And they're always up there, dumping their load. And it's Chris for the mill of who the hell knows. It's Chris for the mill of who the hell knows. There's some It harkens a day of metal lunch. 
Yeah, that was Valerie Miller with her song Sons of Bitches, which always struck me. I really like that song. Well, it's angry and it's full of tension and, you know, it's just, it's for the, it's, it's that like song the, you need when you need that song, you know? The lyrics are, are kind of nasty and angry, but the music is so upbeat and happy, like this Appalachian jug band kind of music. That, yeah, uh, yeah. I like the contrast there. It's funny. Yeah, she definitely has a lot of that influence and... uh that's actually one that I've been wanting to play for a while, and uh, I'm glad we uh, glad we got the opportunity to do that. But she's great, ValerieMiller.com. Actually, her name is not spelled the normal Valerie; it's like V-A-L-O-R-I-E. And of course, we'll uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. But uh, I would recommend going out and buying all of her records. This one uh, is off the Autumn Eyes album, which we've played two songs. Before we played Autumn Eyes, the title track, and we played Star Town, which is one of my favorite songs ever, and uh, she wrote it. So, yeah, her stuff's beautiful, definitely. So, uh, number number four, you want to? Uh, yeah, I think go, we're on. Go to number four. four. All right, uh, the trouble with troubles. Mm. Well, I Absolutely. might as well just say it now. That's where I put number four as well. So, did you really? Yeah, that was that that's, was the next one on my list. So, go ahead. What what do you like the, about it? Oh, it's just funny as hell. Yeah, and uh, David Gerald episodes. is a uh, he was a great screenwriter and he wrote a lot of other stuff that was was excellent too, but uh it's just really a a very silly, you know, ensemble. The cast gets to play off each other really well and just the whole setup with the damn tribbles falling out of hatches and all over the place is is just funny. Yeah, it's so, it's a It's not not deep, not serious, just really funny. Yeah, there's a lot of sarcasm from Kirk towards that uh, William Shallert, the station manager, and uh, yeah, just really funny stuff. That Cyrano Jones character is a riot, the traveling salesman mm-hmm. who sold them the tribbles in the first place. And, uh, you know, yeah, of course, it, yeah. it ends with one of the worst pun jokes of all time after <laughs> they they uh, transported the, they got rid of the tribbles from the Enterprise, and Kirk wanted to know where they where they went and uh, everybody was avoiding telling him and finally Kirk got mad and Scotty said uh, I transported him into the Klingon engine room the whole kit and caboodle will there'll be no tribble at all <laughs> so it's, yeah that's one of the worst <laughs> puns ever he was concerned he he was an animal rights activist he didn't want them to have been transported yeah, you know into, a, into outer space Shatner's a horse lover IRL 
Um, you know what else is great about that episode, and it, it really sort of has nothing to do with that episode, but on the, what was it, the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, when Deep Space Nine was still in production, they did an episode, and God, what did they call that one? Basically, it was a time travel episode about the trouble with Tribbles. Where and, they sync, kind of synced up with the original yeah, events. Yeah, yeah, they went I, back in time and put on the old uniforms, and they interacted with the old scenes. They actually cut them into the the old scenes like you know you know what it's sad to say i'm i'm sorry i have to say i have heard about it but i have never seen that whole episode it's, i think the, it's the all space on youtube nine episode i think you can I'll watch have to it. look for it because there's i've seen some deep space nine and i have to say i really like some deep space nine but well, the, i have not seen all of it the overall story arc was a real overall story arc which the f- yeah the next generation yeah. and the enterprise didn't really have you know when you right. when you went to the next week's show they rarely if ever referred to what happened in a previous week as if real time had elapsed but ds9's mm-hmm. entire arc was like that it was a yeah, story that it took had place. That, that strength yeah to really make you interested but yeah unfortunately it was just it was happening at a time when i just uh was busy and just kind of dropped just didn't follow it just well didn't the, watch it, there's so. a couple of great things about that episode when they went back and they interacted with the original uh episode was they got the actor charlie brill who played the klingon spy the one that kirk was tormenting with the tribbles at the end of the original episode the mm-hmm. guy who looked human where you know and then mccoy ran his tricoder over and went this man's a this Klingon. This man is a Klingon. Yeah, they actually got that same <laughs> actor to reprise his role. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's and great. That's great. The, 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 the scenes where they took the original episode scenes and they cut the new actors into them, like after the bar fight on uh, on the space station, K-7, they had yeah. Kirk dressing down everybody. He wanted to know who started the fight. And they cut Miles O'Brien in, the character who from The, the Next Generation who later yeah. went on to, to – basically end the uh, stay for the entire run of Deep Space Nine. And they cut him into it. They replaced some generic red shirt with him. And uh, it was seamless. I mean, they made it look exactly like, you know, that actor, Cole Meany, was there. It was had, phenomenal. Had come back through time and and started, the like, interfered with the events of the original series. That's yeah. hilarious. The other little nod to other sci-fi in that show was these people from the, the they're like the Time Lords of Starfleet. Whenever yeah, somebody right. broke the Starfleet rule about not traveling in time, these people would come and ask you questions, like the Secret Service or something. And <laughs> the, the two characters, they came to the the commander of the Deep Space Nine, Avery Brooks, Cisco. They came to Cisco's office, and the two agents from Starfleet were named Dulmer and Luxley, which were kind of uh, nods to Mulder and Scully. They just spelled their names oh, differently. Oh, yeah. So they they did a funny. little nod to the X Files. Okay, that. I'm going to have to track that down. And it may, you know what? It may be time for me to. I, a lot of the DVDs we've got, I actually have bought like whole seasons used on eBay for super cheap. So like I have I do have every episode of uh, all the all the different uh, Stargate shows that I got that way. Oh yeah, that's something so I haven't may, watched a lot of. It may well they, they vary in quality a lot, but mostly they trend to trend pretty good. So, but it may be time to just like uh, see if I can score a whole uh, set of DS9 and the rest of the original. What do you series got? Okay, so uh, this one also is maybe not a uh, super popular choice. Um, oh, I, I think I know it, what you're going to go because you think you told me earlier. <laughs> I actually I, I changed my mind. Okay, so, so I don't know where the, you're going to so go. So the one the one I told you earlier is now in my honorable mention, which mm. maybe we'll run through quickly. Yeah, but no, well, we have this, time. 
this one is um, another episode in which the aliens are really interesting to me, and it's called um, "Is There in Truth No Beauty?" Mm-hmm. And it's the one where uh, they have this ambassador in a box, right? And it, it's something where they open it up, and you just see flashing lights. But uh, don't look. It's it, the race of the creatures is the Medusa. Uh, if you look. At it, well, you won't be turned to stone because I wasn't. It will it make you really insane. Make that practical, but it will drive you mad. Yeah, and um, I just thought that was really intriguing. I really like the idea of these uh, aliens that aren't people in rubber masks with a forehead appliance or just badly applied yeah, makeup, and nose bridge. They or weren't whatever. even doing forehead appliances in the original series. They were just making people up. You know? Yeah, a lot of uh, eyeshadow and stuff. Like the Klingons that. in particular. Um, actually, yeah. that, there was a funny joke really briefly in that DS9 episode. They were sitting on the space station K7 uh, bar there where Cyrano Jones was. And Worf mm-hmm. is, looks like the modern Klingons do. And all of these people are... are uh, one of them orders a drink called Ractagino, which is Klingon coffee. And uh, uh-huh. Worf is like, why would anybody order Ractagino? And then somebody said, well, they're Klingons. And Worf's looking around going, where? And they're all the old style Klingons. <laughs> so he doesn't recognize them. I don't see any Klingons. And you know what? They actually tried to address the difference in the way the Klingons looked yeah. in an episode, episode yeah. of Enterprise, which was the most recent Scott Bakula episode. But uh-huh. um, yeah. They were, they were woefully inconsistent on the original series, how they did the makeup. It was pretty terrible. So what's what's your last, yeah? My number five is Arena, the Gorn episode, which was based on Frederick Brown's classic, The Arena, a science fiction story. The Gorn, really? Well, yeah, come on. <laughs> so, because, well, so, okay, what do you like about that one? Well, um, well there's just a ton of things I, I like about it. Uh, just, I, I mean, I just like the idea that, you know, we're going to settle a fight. The, the idea of the Frederick Brown story, you know, the winner of the fight, the loser, rather, all, the, their entire species dies. I mean, that's that's real consequences. You know, that's real pressure. Um, well, I may be thinking of I may be thinking of a different one. This isn't the one with the like the lizard guy that Kirk fights and yeah. kills him with gunpowder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's the one. It's and just they're gonna classic. Kill the, maybe I lost. Maybe I missed some context from it. They're going to kill the entire species of whoever loses the fight. Yeah, that was the. There oh. was a lot on the line in that fight for everybody. But the the Kirk says no, don't kill them. And then the Metrons. I think that was the name of that sort of super species that had the power to kill everybody. They looked very angelic. Mm. He said, maybe there is hope for you now. You know, it was uh, that I didn't like. One of those hopeful you know, nods mm, to okay, humanity right. at the end. But I, I just loved everything yeah, about that's, that episode. Like that's not a cliched thing to do. But, but uh, the, I mean, Spock, once again, having a, another great line, you know, there there is sufficient raw materials to make a weapon on the planet. And Spock was like diamonds, a, uh, a very dangerous projectile if propelled with mm-hmm. impelled with sufficient force or something like that he just yeah he had another he great figures episode. out how to make gunpowder out of sulfur and, and actually and, mythbusters made that cannon <laughs> you they? know they did tied rope around the end of it as if that would be strong enough to contain the explosion in a bamboo tube and yeah they 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 found that not, there would have so been much yeah, there would have been no way to make the cannon shoot the projectile hard enough to actually uh, uh, penetrate something would have killed Kirk. That's what they were able to make uh, a cannon so that it did fire a projectile, but it would have definitely maimed or killed. Up. Yeah, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have been well, able to bend near it. 
No, I just, uh, what I don't like about the episode is just, is the uh, comic wrestling with the guy in the rubber suit well that's 1968 technology what are you gonna do you know uh, i i i I guess but uh no i I wouldn't well uh, interesting i'll I'll have to watch that one because i i think i've i've forgotten about sort of the the plot of it uh, and because of the uh the rubber suit (laughs) so what do you got for uh Quick honorable mentions here. Yeah, let's run through them. Oh, well, one of my honorable mentions, City on the Edge of Forever, because I do believe most of it was very well written. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A cut, definitely a cut above the, the usual. Um, and then I, I did have one that I mentioned to you on Facebook, which is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Frank Gorshin. Which is the... It's the guy, the one with the two guys fighting who've been fighting for thousands of years, and one of them has a white f- face with a black side, and the other one has a black face with a white side. Yeah, well, they're, they're mirror images, like, uh, but but to the, yeah. the viewers watching the episode, you don't make that that observation like, right they're away. They're the same, but yeah. they're, but they're, that was a whole parable about racism, and it's right. quite fascinating. Yeah. And it doesn't quite hit you. Head. It's a little subtle, but it, uh, it yeah. does, it's not yeah. quite as subtle as some of the Star Trek uh, morality plays often were, because it definitely had black and white, which is not too... Pre- mm-hmm. But that had Frank Gorshin in it, one of my favorite actors of all time. He played, of course, the, the Riddler in the original Batman. Really funny. Oh, well, just really? go down yeah, your whole... I don't uh, put these all together. Okay, yeah, that's so, my thing. Go uh, down your where, whole list of no, runners up runners up where no man has gone before which is the one where the the guy um develops godlike powers and mostly uses them to sing annoyingly into the the pa system right yeah <laughs> uh the tholian web another really intriguing alien yeah and they actually uh went back on the enterprise series with bacula and revisited that episode as well did they? I, yep. See, I've I've only seen a few episodes of Enterprise, but uh, okay, another really intriguing alien and a great plot and a great plot twist. I felt was the Corbomite maneuver. Oh, with Baylock. Yeah, where you're looking at this evil-looking alien on the view screen, you're like, "Wow, that's intimidating!" and and so they do this elaborate bluff where they threaten to blow up the Corbomite in the right. ship's hole with you know, right? But then it turns on, turns out this alien is actually this tiny little cute, totally you know, it's uh, un- played by uh, Clint Howard, Ron Howard's brother, a young Clint Howard. Yeah, wow. But he, but he lives in this thing, which is the ship that he lives in is this giant thing. It's many, many times larger than the Enterprise, and but yet he's this passive, inoffensive, unintimidating. You know, let's drink Tranya. Yeah, it's just it's beautifully done. You know, it's just all about misconception and bluffing. You know, right. So dishonor- dishonorable mentions. You got any dishonorable mentions? Well, I'll just go down my list of runners up. Uh, Mirror, okay. Mirror, the evil Spock in the goatee episode, which they oh, yeah, revisited yeah. Um, on Deep Space Nine a couple times. They revisited that universe, the Mirror, Mirror universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow was yesterday, the episode where they went into the past and they beamed up that Air Force pilot who you know, oh, yeah, I definitely thought ship. about that one. Yeah. Um, Assignment Earth, the episode with Gary Seven and the cat, uh, which was supposed to be a pilot for his own show, 
and it oh, had a young Terry Gar in it. Um, Bread and Circuses, the Gladiator episode. Anything with gladiators is okay by me. <laughs> and uh, which brings us to an air, airplane joke, if you want to go there. And then uh, Day yeah, of I was the... just going to say, you ever spend time in a Turkish prison? That's right. Uh, <laughs> Day of the Dove, the episode with that creature that feeds on hate, and the Klingons are like sword fighting with the the Earthlings on the ship. And uh, mm. we learn of a famous Klingon proverb: "Only a fool fights in a burning house." Interesting. Um, I'll have to. I, if for me, if I had to mention one quick dishonorable mention, it would be Spock's brain. The one where, yeah, yeah that's yeah. brain, brain. That's, what our brain or whatever. That's um, number one on my on my dishonorable mention list. That I mean, it's that is totally mystery science theater three thousand material. Yeah, you know, it it's, really it's awful. deserves. And the third to be, season has a bunch of those bad, 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 bad episodes. It's too bad. Talk. Talking about the uh, the sort of fake-looking fighting scenes, also on my dishonorable mention list, the Galileo 7. Oh, yeah, with those giant fuzzy bear G- things and the big giant spears. and Giant bear things off camera, mostly throwing giant spears and rocks at them. In, and then one Spock called picks one The Lights of Zetar. The Scotty Girlfriend episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty bad. I would have definitely mentioned all those. But... I guess that's an episode, man. What do you think? I think that's good. There's a, there's a lot of it, it. Reminded me, you know, that I'll, even with some of these things being a little goofy with the rubber masks and whatnot, that there was some really creative, uh, some really creative plotting, some really creative storytelling going on, and a lot of really uh, a lot of relevant social and political commentary went on in, in the old track too. Oh, very much, very much. But uh, check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback, feedback at bloodyveg.com. And use our voicemail, 206-376-0397. So we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>